Well, what if I told you there's not only an ideal neighbor, but actually a, a perfect one, a perfect neighbor, one that would bring hope, joy, peace, love, grace, and truth into the neighborhood. Well, as you've already heard today, we begin the Advent season here at OTCC. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means arrival or coming. And during Advent, we look uh, back in celebration of the birth of Jesus, and we look ahead, we look forward to the return of Christ in the fullness of God's time. Our Advent series this year is titled Unto Us, because at the heart of the Advent Christmas season is the profound reality that God became flesh and walked among us. The message translation of the Bible states it this way, the word became flesh, I love this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish, one of a kind, like father, like son, true from the inside out. Well, our text for this series is going to come mostly from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah is in Israel's hall of fame of prophets, and centuries before the birth of Jesus, God inspired him to prophesy that God would send a king, a savior, a Messiah, not just to the nation of Israel, but thank God, to the entire world. So let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, at verses 14 through 17 are what I'm going to read for us today, but I need to set a little bit of context before I actually read uh, our text this morning, okay? So chapter 7 kicks off, and the nation of Judah is in a hot, mess. They were actually divided between two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south, and both kingdoms really struggled. They struggled to be faithful to God. They were vulnerable always to being conquered by invading armies, and King Ahaz of Judah was really nervous. As Isaiah opens in chapter 7, Ahaz is really nervous about being taken down. So nervous, verse 2 says that they were like trees shaken by the wind. They were so nervous, they were like trees shaken by the wind. Have you ever been so up against it in life, so afraid or nervous, that you felt like you were tree limbs just blowing and shaking in the wind? Can you imagine their fear. Well, as chapter 7 unfolds, God told Ahaz Ahaz, that there was not going to be an invasion. He even invited Ahaz to test him to see if his promise was true. Now, Ahaz was not a good king. He was a terrible king. He did some really, really bad things, and time does not permit me to list them all. Plus, this is the fifth Sunday, and our kids are with us, so I'm not going to list all he did But here it says he knows at least that he should not put God to the test. At first, this sounds really religious. It sounds really pious. But the trouble with Ahaz was he was religious and pious, but he didn't have faith. He was religious and pious, but he didn't trust God. This is not good. Playing the religious game without faith, right, Playing the religious game without faith is something that absolutely our Lord confronted constantly in 
His ministry. It's not a good thing. We need faith to give our uh, religious, pious activity the real life and real meaning. And centuries later, Jesus would run into these folks all the time. Well, eventually Ahaz made an alliance with the Assyrians. He looked to Assyria for help and hope instead of God. Have you ever turned away from God to something or someone else for your hope and for your help? Have you ever put your hands, life into the hands of another empire and not the empire of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, verse 13, Isaiah shifts his focus from the nation of Israel and he gives a word of hope to the entire world, a word of hope for all people. And that's where we pick up verse 14. It reads like this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Emmanuel, God with us. This is where I want to focus this morning on this first Sunday of Advent. Emmanuel, God with us. If you're familiar with Matthew's account of the Christmas story, you can just hear the echo of Isaiah. Matthew wrote, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us means that we have an everlasting, eternal hope among the many gifts that we receive in Christ. Now, can you imagine living life without hope? Can you imagine living as if all there is to life is the here and now, and that things will not ever get better? Hope allows us to lift our eyes to the horizon and trust that things can and will get better in the fullness of God's time. You've heard the phrase state of mind. I've always liked to describe hope as a state of heart. Hope allows us to endure and persevere through challenging times and life's disappointment. Hope allows us to wait for God's healing and deliverance. Tertullian, the early Christian theologian, said, hope is patience with the lamp lit. Hope is patience with the lamp lit. We believe that God is going to deliver. We believe that God is going to rescue. We believe that God is going to heal. What I love about the celebration of hope during Advent is that we're reminded that Christian hope, Christian hope is different than the way that often hope is described. Some use the word hope like we would use the word wish. So some of you right now might hope the sermon is a short one today. Or some of you may say, I hope the U.S. national team beats Iran on Tuesday. I know you joined me in that hope. Or some of you may be saying, I hope the economy gets better. But this kind of hope, to be honest with you, is, is flimsy. This is really stating desire more than it is stating hope. It is not anchored. Or 
there's often hope that's based on our abilities or the abilities of others. We study hard for an exam, and we hope that we will get a good grade. We work hard at, with the hopes that we will get a promotion or recognition at work. Or we go through treatment for an illness with the hope that the doctors have diagnosed us properly and prescribed the right treatment. Now, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of hope. We need them. We need them. But the hope we celebrate during Advent, the hope in Christ runs deeper. It's stronger. This hope is anchored in the promises and the work and the will and in the character of God. Let me just talk about one dynamic of this hope that we celebrate this morning. And this one dynamic is powerful. It gives us hope. And it's because the human problem has been given and provided a divine solution. The human problem has been provided a divine solution. Part of the reality of humankind is that we have all sinned and we are all alienated from God in our sins. For the wages of sin is death. We may not all rise to the level of evil that King Ahaz did or the constant chronic unfaithfulness of Israel, but our sin still leaves us with the problem. And here's the challenge. There's not a human solution to the sin problem. There's not. We talk about this occasionally here in worship together. We can't work our sin away. We can't earn our sin away. We can't pay for it to be away. There is not a human solution to being alienated from God. We need a solution from above. We need a divine solution. And this is where the mysterious, miraculous birth of Jesus enters into the picture. It is the divine solution to our human problem. In the classic Christmas story, Luke's gospel records Mary's reaction when she was told that she was going to give birth to Jesus. Mary asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? It's a really good question. A lot of people consider the doctrine of the virgin birth and ask, how in, this, how in the world can this be? I mean, think about it for a moment. If Mary came in here today, if she walked in maybe a little late, maybe the donkey was a little slow, Pastor Brian, and she walked in a little late, she came in during the greeting time, and all of a sudden she stood up and said, hey, I'm expecting, and it's a boy and by the way, I am a virgin. We would all reach for our phones and we wouldn't text the church. We would text for help, for somebody to come in. We would. Throughout the history of the Christian church, folks have struggled with the doctrine and people still struggle today. It is a doctrine that we can only find in three texts in all of Scripture, in Matthew and Luke and in Isaiah. Jesus does not reference it, and Paul didn't either. Now, I'm not going to even pretend to try to give a natural, rational, logical explanation to that which is supernatural and beyond our human sense of reasoning. What I will say 
is that the miracle of the virgin birth and God choosing this as a way to bring our rescue and to bring our redemption into the world makes sense. It makes sense to my limited human finite understanding of the work of God in the world. Let me unpack this just a little. I love, and I don't know if it's the older I get, but I love the profound truth that the ways of God are so much higher than my ways. That the ways of God are higher than my ways. There are some things about God that are mysterious and complex. And I cannot get there. I cannot always understand everything. A good friend of mine says, God gives us a, just what we need to have faith, but God leaves enough mystery for us to hold God in awe. And I must confess, as part of my faith journey, I'm limited in my understanding of the mysteries of God. His ways are higher than my ways, and God works beyond, far beyond my imagination. Let me give you an analogy. I have a confession to make. I am not the type to really be a social media follower or fan of a celebrity. I'm just not the type to do that. Some people do that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but some people do it. Except one. And I've been following this young lady on social media for a while. I'm just absolutely fascinated by her. Okay? She is extraordinary. She's probably top of her class. Michael, will you go ahead and roll the video? My family's tired of seeing this video. Her name is Gaitlin Ray. Only a monkey from North Carolina would be named Gaitlin Ray, by the way, and I'm from North Carolina. She lives in North Carolina, and she can do extraordinary things, right? She's washing dishes in that video. Thanks, thanks for stopping it. It goes six minutes, and I can watch the whole thing. She can wash dishes. She can put clothes in the washer, believe it or not. She can snap beans, okay? I mean, I've seen her on video snap beans. Now, let me just do me a favor. Don't go home and look her up on YouTube and watch all those YouTube videos because, no, you'll think I'm crazy. My, my family already does. I just really enjoy watching this monkey at times. Her human parents are, shall we say, a bit eccentric, no doubt. But they're still smarter than she is. And there are some things that they have to tell her. Like she can't go through the Starbucks window when they stop for Starbucks to get her favorite drink. Or she can't go behind the counter at the bank and count the money for the teller. Right? They have to stop her from doing that. Their ways are higher than her ways. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to humankind. But there's probably a shorter gap, I know there's a shorter gap, between Gaitlin Ray's intellect and ours, and between our intellect and God's. Okay? Shorter gap between hers and ours, and between ours, and we're the crown of creation, ours and God's. If this is the case, is it such a stretch to think that the God of the universe the God that set all the laws of physics in the motion, the God who gave and created life in the first place, is it such a stretch to think that God may reveal the miraculous and mysterious birth of Jesus to us, and we would just say, God, I hear you, may not understand it, but I trust you. And to God, it's not a complex act at all. 
When we put limits on what God can and cannot do, we limit our hope. When we put limits on what God can and cannot do, we are making God into our image. And we're then putting hope in the human. We're hoping for a human solution rather than trust in a divine solution. We're limiting God based on our limitations. But to remove our limitations and to lean in and believe that with God all things are possible, then that anchors our hope in the majesty and magnificence of our mighty God. So that's the, the first line of thing. God's ways are higher than our ways. The second is God just has fun creating out of nothing. This is part of the nature of God. We see this in creation We see it again in the virgin birth. Just as God spoke the world into the existence, God worked in an empty womb. If God spoke the world into existence with either a big, huge bang or with a subtle whisper, God acted first and God created all things. One of the the ways I love to describe God is that God is the uncreated creator and the uncaused cause. God is the uncreated creator and the uncaused cause. So we all have a cause. We were all born with material that God created and the way that God designed babies to be born. Bottom line, I'm not going to get into biology class here. We are not an uncaused cause, but God is. No one created or caused God. God has always been, God is now, and God will always be then does it not stand to reason that when God sent his son into the world, this son who was fully God and fully human, that God would do so in a once in a lifetime way? John calls him the one and only, conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, born of a virgin, fully human. What does this mean for us today? Well, first... God can work the impossible in your life. God can put hope where you've been hopeless. God can put comfort and peace where you've been anxious and agitated. When you're weak, He will be strong. If you're facing a challenging situation or even season in your life, lean into Him. Trust the God who can work the impossible. And if you trust Him, He'll either change your circumstance or change you in it. God is the not only the uncaused cause, but God is the first mover. That's another beautiful description of God. He first moved to create the world, and He first moved toward us in our sin with His initiating grace. Jesus came to save us from our sin. He who was without sin took on our sins so that we might be one with God. He stood in our gap so that we would not have to pay the consequences what we see in the virgin birth that Isaiah prophesied, what we see in the virgin birth is God's initiating grace. No matter your circumstance, no matter how much you think you've blown it, God is leaning in to you. God is searching for you. And God wants to be in a relationship with you, a close one. And He's initiated it in Christ. And this gives us a deep and abiding hope. Emmanuel, God is with us. 
Jesus has moved in to the neighborhood. He's moved in. And this means hope has moved in. It is not a wishful hope. It is not a hope based on human capabilities and possibilities. This is a hope grounded in the love of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and assured by the character and faithfulness of God. Jesus is our hope. Timothy Keller, the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York and prolific writer, reflected on the the miracle of Christmas. Let me just read it here. It says, if Jesus didn't come, the story of Christmas is one more moral paradigm to crush you. If Jesus didn't come, I wouldn't want to be anywhere, he says, around these Christmas stories that say we need to be sacrificed, we need to be humble, we need to be loving. But if Jesus Christ is actually God come in the flesh, you're going to know much more about God. If Jesus is who he says he is, we have a 500-page autobiography from God, in a sense. And our understanding will be vastly more personal and specific than any philosophy or religion could give us. Because of Christmas, look at what God has done to know you personally and so that you will know him personally. If the Son will come all this way to become a real person to you, don't you think the Holy Spirit will do anything in his power to make Jesus a real person to you in your heart. Christmas, my friends, is the invitation by God to say, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done to move into your neighborhood. Now, the invitation as we begin this Advent season is to draw near to Jesus. He wants to be your friend. He's moved into your neighborhood. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the hope that Isaiah prophesied about centuries and centuries before the birth of our Savior. Thank you, God, that we know that your hope is stronger even than our hope. Your hope Oh, God, is anchored in who you are, in your faithfulness, in your word, and in your promises. Now, Lord God, as as we turn toward the rest of this season, help us to acknowledge your presence each and every day. Help us to welcome you into our hearts afresh each day. And we'll wait with great expectation for all that you're going to do, our Lord our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me thank you for worshiping with us. Well, let me invite you to stand, and Pastor Brian is going to come, and to share any, any, uh, any last neighbor characteristics. Um, uh, there was one that was great that said, a good neighbor is quiet. <laughs> On that note, I'll take my mic off. <laughs> Let's pray. God, help us be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word in the week ahead. Lord, help us live with an active hope, God, that our our words and our actions uh, just might demonstrate, Lord, the ways that you are working in our lives. Help our hope in you be contagious this week. In Jesus' name, amen.